Listener Production. I wanted to tell you to your face because I wanted you to know that I am a mother first and foremost, and I know that you're a father. My son existed. So that's the moment a mother of one of the 20 primary school children killed in the Sandy Hook shooting got to speak directly to Alex Jones, the InfoWars conspiracy theorist who'd been calling her a crisis actor and calling the shooting a hoax and profiting from it for almost 10 years. Truth is so vital to our world. Truth is what we base our reality on. We have to agree on that to have a civil society. Sandy Hook is a hard truth, hard truth. So this cathartic moment for Scarlett Lewis happened in a Texas courtroom earlier this month where Alex Jones was sued for 49 million US dollars in damages. In this episode of The Briefing, how the families of the Sandy Hook shootings are finally getting justice for Alex Jones's lies. And we're going to bring you an incredible interview with a New York Times journo called Elizabeth Williamson. She was in the courtroom for that moment and has written a book called Sandy Hook, An American Tragedy and the Battle for Truth. Truth is the bedrock upon which we base our entire system. And he was eroding it and he was being called to account for that. That is our briefing in just a moment. First, today's headlines with Katrina Blowers. It's Monday, August 15. Organised criminals are rotting the National Disability Insurance Scheme. We're seeing organised crime groups who are prone to violence, who have used violence, intimidating users of the NDIS, you know, our our most vulnerable in society, and it, it sickens you. That's the head of the Australian Criminal Intelligence Commission... Michael Phelan speaking on Nine. He believes that as much as 15 to 20% of the 30 billion allocated to the NDIS could be misused, potentially buying narcotics overseas. So 15 to 20%, that's up to around $6 billion of NDIS money potentially being ripped off. Yeah, it's huge. Uh, He says his agency has discovered fake NDIS clients, payments for services that are never provided, and networks of people, including doctors, accountants and lawyers, who help criminals exploit this scheme. So far, 18 people have been charged since 2020 in connection to NDIS fraud, totaling 14 million. So not billion, but million. So that means there's clearly way more work to do in busting people who are ripping off the NDIS. And that is super important because the NDIS budget could be going from $30 billion at the moment to around $60 billion by the end of the decade. So obviously we want to know that money's being well spent. New reports say Scott Morrison secretly signed himself in as Health, Finance and Resources Minister while he was Prime Minister. So a new book by two of the Australian newspaper's most senior political reporters has revealed how Scott Morrison secretly swore himself in as co-health minister and finance minister in March 2020. The explanation was that those ministers, just as the pandemic was taking hold, would essentially be running the country. Yeah, and now today, News Corp Samantha Maiden is reporting Morrison also signed himself in as Resources Minister in December 2021, just in time for Morrison to use that power to kill off a controversial PEP 11 gas project off the New South Wales coast. That's where Blue Ribbon seats were under threat from Teal Independence. And the news about the health ministry is interesting because it's coming as concerning news about bulk billing services, that bulk billing rates could be as low as 60% 
That's almost 30% lower than the official government figures, according to News Corp. So the health minister has said those numbers need to be reviewed. Yeah, I don't think those numbers are going to come as any surprise to anyone who has tried and failed to find a bulk billing doctor lately. And flights will go back to normal in Canberra today after a man opened fire in the departures terminal yesterday afternoon. This male has uh, removed a firearm from his possession and let off approximately five rounds. That's the ACT Police Detective Acting Superintendent Dave Craft. So this man fired shots at the windows. Uh, fortunately, no one was injured, but it was a pretty crowded terminal. Lots of terrified people who felt as though they had to run for their lives. Uh, it was evacuated, the departure terminal and flights were diverted. And we don't know why he did it yet. Um, he's going to face court today and the federal police are now reviewing security at Canberra Airport. Author Salman Rushdie has been taken off a ventilator and he's apparently on the road to recovery after being stabbed at a lecture in New York over the weekend. Yeah, this is a, an absolutely horrific story. Um, an incredible author, Salman Rushdie. So his son has tweeted that his defiant sense of humour is still intact and that he's been able to say a few words, but it's likely Rushdie will lose sight in one eye and there's been damage to his liver and he's still in a critical condition. Meanwhile, the man who allegedly stabbed Rushdie, 24-year-old Hadi Matar, has pleaded not guilty to attempted murder. But we've got some more details emerging around this, uh, that he booked a pass to this event in advance and he used a fake ID. And I guess these things will be used to argue that this attack was premeditated. Yeah, so the backstory to this is that Salman Rushdie's 1988 book, The Satanic Verses, was considered blasphemous by many Muslims and is banned in a number of Muslim countries. And he's lived with death threats for decades because of his work and has even had to go into hiding. I guess what's so appalling about this is that, you know, in Western culture, we allow people to critique almost any idea, even religion, even our most sacred ideas, mm. without facing physical violence as a consequence. And, you know, I believe that critical thinking and public debate has been crucial in the evolution of, of our culture. And without it, we'd still be in the Middle Ages. So to see someone stabbed for what they've written in a book is just horrific. Mm. Yeah, especially all these decades on. J.K. Rowling, who's the author of Harry Potter, has been pulled into this as well. She uh, she tweeted um, some support of Salman Rushdie over the weekend and has received online death threats, which uh, Scottish police are now looking into. And 12 days after Nancy Pelosi, the US House Speaker's controversial trip to Taiwan, there's going to be another high-level visit by US officials today. Five members of the US Congress will meet with Taiwan's president as part of a wider trip to the Indo-Pacific region. Yeah, so they're going to be discussing regional security, trade and investment. Uh, China launched its biggest ever military exercises around Taiwan following Pelosi's visit earlier this month, which China's foreign minister called manic, irresponsible and irrational. Well, I wonder how manic they'll get this time around. Um, so much tension in that area. I don't expect this will ease it at all. All right, Katrina, we'll catch you tomorrow on The Briefing in just a moment. We're bringing you an incredible story of the way Alex Jones's info wars were torn apart in court. I know you know that. 
and you keep saying it. You keep saying it. Why? Why? For money? Because you've made a lot of money while you've said it. Yes, Alex Jones has made a lot of money from the lies about Sandy Hook. At one point, he was making $800,000 a day. His company is estimated to be worth $270 million US dollars. But Rihanna, the truth is starting to cost him. Yeah, and his career has been a wild ride. I mean, Alex Jones started InfoWars after being sacked from a radio job for claiming that 9-11 was an inside job. His conspiracy site attracted as many as 10 million visitors a month. And his YouTube channel at one point had over 2 million subscribers until he was banned by YouTube for misinformation in 2018, along with a bunch of other sites like Facebook, Apple, Twitter and Spotify. Yeah, now the damages are mounting. So he's been deplatformed, as he said, and the courts are starting to come up with some pretty big figures. So last year, he lost a series of defamation cases brought by Sandy Hook families. Now he's facing the damages trials, and there's three of them. The one you just heard, where Scarlett Lewis testified face to face with Jones, wrapped up just over a week ago. And the court ordered he pay damages of 49 million US dollars, which is close to 70 million Australian. And very soon there'll be another trial in Texas, a similar one, and another one in Connecticut involving eight families. So the total damages bill could be huge. So to get the full story on Alex Jones's reckoning, we have Elizabeth Williamson with us, which we're very excited about. She writes for the New York Times and she was there in Texas for the recent trial. Elizabeth, thank you so much for joining us. Can you take us through the key claims that Alex Jones made about the Sandy Hook families and how prominent this conspiracy theory around Sandy Hook was in his InfoWars content over the last 10 years? Sure, Tom. So beginning within hours after the Sandy Hook shooting on December 14th, 2012, Alex Jones began to spread the false theory that the shooting was a so-called false flag operation, meaning it was a pretext planned by the federal government to confiscate Americans' firearms. He continued to say that for years, and he implicated the individual families, not all, but several, in the plot. Um, I mean, he implied that all the families were complicit in the plot, that they were so-called crisis actors, and that they were helping the government perpetrate this hoax on the American people. Elizabeth, let's go to the moment where, for the first time ever, Jones was forced to confront one of um, those victims that had dealt with everything that you've just outlined. And Scarlett Lewis's son, Jesse, died after saving the lives of nine of his classmates by helping them to escape. What was that moment like? And I mean, I mean, what did it mean? It was a moment that the families had been waiting for, for the four years of litigation that they have already been through. And it was absolutely electric. I'm trying to keep kids safe because I couldn't do it from my home. And you're saying that it didn't happen. And, and, that, and you're, you're, you're taking away the credibility of what I'm trying to do. It was an accident of scheduling that really put them face to face, meaning Scarlett Lewis and Alex Jones. She had 90 minutes left in her testimony from the morning. I think he came to the court in the afternoon thinking she had already finished and she hadn't. So for 90 minutes, she directed every comment to him directly. You are spreading lies and fear and falsehoods and and deception and, and untruths. There is a truth and I believe that you know it. 
It was extraordinary. What impact, if any, do you think that had on him as a person? I would like to say that it reached him. It certainly made him uncomfortable. Um, He was absolutely squirming in his chair. He was sweating. But I always get the sense that maybe that's less out of true shame and realization of, you know, the torment that's been visited on these families since he's been spreading these lies and actually just not wanting to be embarrassed on something that he knew would wind up on national television. (laughs) So he's not an empathetic person. Any empathetic person would never do this in the first place. You've mentioned there that Alex was using uh, a lot of what had happened in the court outside of the court and using, you know, some of that misinformation out there. But did he try those misinformation tactics while in the court? He did. Um, Every answer was uh, an attempt to message to the audience (laughs) and not in the courtroom, of course, the broader audience, his own. But when he was on the stand, he was constantly trying to send a message. He was repeatedly scolded by the judge who kept saying, answer the question that is being asked. It doesn't matter what you think. We're not asking you for your opinion. And then finally, in in very pointed remarks after his first day of testimony, during which he repeatedly lied under oath, she said, just because you think that something is true or you insist that it is, doesn't make it true. And she finally said, this isn't your show. Hmm. You know, this is a fact-based environment that we're in here and I will shut you down. Wow. So Elizabeth, you've written a whole book on this and it really looks at this bigger battle around truth. And the context for this is the, the internet age where misinformation and conspiracies are completely out of control and unchecked in this new media landscape. And I guess the question that this trial was always going to illustrate was whether our courts and our legal system still have the power to cut through that misinformation that is so damaging online. So the moments you're talking about there where Alex Jones tried to bring this internet culture into the courtroom, did the court win? Can people have faith that our legal system can still cut through the noise? It's a great question, Tom. I think that it is an imperfect tool using the legal system for this, but it is the only one that we have. I mean, I say this in my book, you know, it's not uh, the best, but it was fairly cleansing to have him sit there and be repeatedly told no you cannot spew lies in this courtroom. Um, And we are dealing with facts here. We are looking at what you actually said, not what you insist you said. We are looking at what has happened to these families, not your denials that anything happened at all. Um, And we're looking at the pain that you've inflicted on them, regardless of whether you think you made it all go away by issuing a backhanded apology. So, In that sense, it was a moral victory, as Scarlett, Jesse Lewis's mom, said in the courtroom. Truth is the bedrock upon which we base our entire system. And he was eroding it, and he was being called to account for that. And by extension, his audience, and by extension, other purveyors of lies like Alex Jones. 
Elizabeth, this is the first of three defamation damages trials, and the total damages for this one were almost 50 million US dollars. Will he actually have to pay and, and will it wipe him out financially? So I would say this in this trial in particular, what he might ultimately have to pay will not likely exceed about five million dollars. And that's because the division here was 4.1 million in compensatory damages. So that would be uh, compensating the families for actual costs, you know, whether it be therapy or security or measures they had to take concrete costs owing to the lies he spread about them, his defamation of them. But the bigger number was the punitive damages, just, you know, punishing him for what he's done to them. And that doesn't have to be specific. But Texas law caps that at $750,000 per Mm. plaintiff in this instance. Under certain circumstances, it can be more. But in this situation, it would likely be $750,000 each to Neil Heslin and to Scarlett Lewis. But the next trial is in a lawsuit brought by the families of eight Sandy Hook victims, and that will be in Connecticut. In that state, there aren't caps like that. So those family members stand to reap a much larger actual compensation. And that is one reason why he has been trying so hard to delay that particular trial. Right. So the Connecticut trial will be one to watch. Um, Eight families involved and the shooting happened in that state. So I imagine the emotions will be very high as well. If, as you say, that is an even bigger punitive damages total, will this really hurt him and his business financially? Could it put him out of business? It's not yet clear, Tom, because he is maneuvering to use the bankruptcy courts to protect his assets and to delay some of these judgments. It's not clear exactly what the impact will be. Um, Right now, there are a series of bankruptcy hearings at which, you know, the court will try to get to the bottom of his finances and discover the the truth and falsehoods that they're putting forward when they try to describe his financial picture. How that all is adjudicated will have an enormous impact on what ultimately happens to Alex Jones and his business in Wars. There was this other bizarre moment in the courtroom there in Austin where the lawyer of Scarlett Lewis revealed that Alex Jones's lawyer had accidentally sent him Alex Jones's phone records, which then um, served to prove that he had misled the court. So is there a chance that he'll face perjury charges for that? There is a chance. Um, and I suspect he will probably endanger himself in that realm once again in the next trial. But it was really laid out very carefully and clearly that he had perjured himself in his first day's testimony when they presented him with those text messages and a host of other facts on the second day. And just finally, in this bigger war on truth, I guess, which Alex Jones, you could argue, was a frontline soldier for the war against truth. Has this been a a significant victory in, I guess, dealing with this growing problem of misinformation? As we were talking about earlier, I think that the families have viewed this as a very important symbolic thing that they're doing. This is 
a blaring red signal from them to the rest of us that the disinformation that's spreading through social media and online, the, the false narratives that have become entrenched around major events from mass shootings to our elections um, have gotten out of control. The idea that, you know, no one is immune from this, I think is starting to take hold in society. And I give absolute credit as well to the January 6th committee and their efforts to get to the bottom of the disinformation campaign at the root of the attack on our capital here. The fact that more and more people are willing to defend these false beliefs with confrontation and with violence is cause for real alarm. And I think that was the family's message. And I think they did deliver that very successfully. That was Elizabeth Williamson from the New York Times. And her book is called Sandy Hook, An American Tragedy and the Battle for Truth. What did you make of that, Rihanna? Yeah, I guess I'm always wondering about the impact that this will make on others who may want to be like Alex Jones and where that leaves truth at the end of the day. I think what Elizabeth was talking about, about really digging down and trying to find this truth and the way that truth has been manipulated is something that we all should be really worried about and something that we should be vigilant about as well. Yeah, when this same problem led to Donald Trump claiming that the 2020 election was stolen, then that leads to violence on Capitol Hill, as Elizabeth was talking about. You you see that this is a huge problem uh, and this is a very emblematic battle within a bigger war. I guess we talked about earlier how he was deplatformed as well. So it does seem like the truth is catching up, that the, the courts are now bringing these huge damages bills to Alex Jones. He doesn't have the same exposure. But as Elizabeth touched on before, this is an imperfect system to deal with misinformation. And I think the main reason why it's not perfect is that by the time these repercussions come, which is years later, the damage from the lies has already been done. Tomorrow on The Briefing, misdiagnosis. What to do when your doctor's not taking you seriously? Listener.